Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. into this new worship series about the commission, the great commission as it's known, to make disciples of Jesus Christ in the United Methodist Church. The purpose of that is to transform the world. And so as we are doing that, we have kind of adopted what is the theme of annual conference this year for the in almost the entire state of Virginia as the Methodists gather next month. And we've been working towards that because our bishops have set that we need to stay focused on who we are and what we're to do even in the midst of tumult and struggle within the greater denomination globally, we are not to lose track of who we are, and so we have been doing that by focusing and working up to this, the Great Commission text. And as we are here today, it's an important part of our worship to remember just exactly what Jesus says. Now, you may have heard this. This is often spoken of. Um, It's not clearly as as well known as John 3.16, but It's important for us to hear this because Jesus makes it very clear what the expectations are. I'm one of those people that likes to know exactly what it is that you want, and then my goal is to meet or exceed your expectations. That's just how I am. So when Jesus says, this is what I expect, I appreciate that. Now, some people like to have a little bit more of a nebulousness to their commandments and to their ordinances, but uh, here Jesus is pretty clear, and we're going to get in there and see why. So let's just go back to what has happened here. Jesus had cultivated these 12 apostles, these 12 men, and had been traveling around for three years of earthly ministry with them. They were there to see him perform miracles and wonders. They were there for his teachings and his preaching. They were there to see how he was received by religious authorities like the Pharisees and the priesthood known as the Sadducees when he entered into Jerusalem. They got to experience firsthand the miraculous events of Holy Week. They were there when he entered in triumphantly on Palm Sunday. They watched as he overturned tables and cleared out the temple space of those who were making money and changing money over there and kind of diverting the attention of bringing our best and the first fruits of our labor into worship. They were there when he got into verbal debates with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they were there for the Last Supper, the transformation of the Hebrew and Judaic Passover into the Last Supper, they were also there to see when he was betrayed by one of his twelve. They experienced the scattering and the loss that occurred in the days after that when he was humiliated and beaten and crucified, when he died on the cross. They wallowed in despair and fear until he was resurrected on the third day. And then they got to experience the resurrected Christ multiple times. And at the end of his 40 days of resurrection, he is preparing to ascend to heaven, and he has told them to go back to Galilee from Jerusalem, meet him on this mountaintop that he has sent them to, and he is preparing to go into heaven, and he has these final words to say to them. So the 11 have gathered there, and it says that when they get to the mountaintop and they see Jesus, that some of them worship. They worship him. They finally recognize that this is God incarnate, God in human form, and they worship. However, some doubted. So if we're down to 11, and some is more than one, then at best, at best, nine of them are on board. 
two at least, still doubt. These are people that have experienced all the glory of Jesus' earthly ministry, and they still don't get it. They still don't fully buy in. They're not really sure that this is what's going on. They're looking around like, why are you worshiping him? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? And then Jesus has these words in that context to them. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth. Is there some place outside of heaven and earth that we dwell? No. So all authority in all of existence has been given to Jesus. There is no sphere, no realm, no power, no principality where this commandment is not germane. There is nowhere we can go where we are not under the purview of this commission. And he says to them, as they're standing on the mountaintop, which is the great thing about Crozet is there's lots of little mountains here. You can actually go up and kind of get this kind of experience. He has them go up on the mountain so that they can look out and see things a little differently. It's about perspective. Now, some of you may not like heights. I love heights. I used to give my mother heart palpitations because I like to climb up on the roof and sit on the peak when we were putting lights on and let my feet dangle. I used to creep my mother out. Be like, come down here. I like it up here. It's a great perspective. You get to see things you don't normally see. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus takes them up there, because otherwise they would have been just looking here. But Jesus wants them to see down, to see out, to look out and see in a complete 360 this span, because he's about to say something very important to them. And what he says to them is, after telling them that he is the boss and in charge, he says to them, go. Don't you love it when somebody brings you somewhere just to make you leave again? Brought them all the way up the mountain, then sends them right back down. Jesus loves some cardio. And he says to them, I want you to go. I need you to go out. You see all of this? That is where I am sending you. I am sending you out. Because the role for you now is that you need to go and make disciples of all nations. And sometimes we don't think constructively about what Jesus is asking. See, All nations is the gospel account of Matthew's way of saying everyone, everybody. That's what it's saying. Now, in John, the gospel account of John, you hear the phrase in John 3.16, God so loved the world. The world is everyone. So either way, because God so loved everyone, Jesus is now saying, I need you to go and make disciples of everyone. I need you to go out and do this. Everyone should be encountering God. Everyone should get what I have given to you. Everyone should hear about what you have experienced as my disciples. I'm commanding you to go and do this. And kind of gives them a 360 degree panoramic view of pick your direction because that's where you're going. I am sending you out. Because they have a tendency not to go out. In fact, after Jesus resurrects, you'll recall they have a tendency to like huddle down in rooms together and lock the doors and stay in there. And Jesus is like, I've been watching you for 40 days. Fail. It's time now for you to hear me. Go out. Because they weren't going out if Jesus didn't tell them to do this. In fact, if you remember from last week, the gospel account of John says that their response to all of this and the resurrection of Jesus was, let's try to go back to normal. We'll go back fishing. And Jesus was like, I'm going to come and find you and tell you no. This is what I need you to do. I need you to go out. You can't act like everything's the same. You can't go huddle down in rooms. You've got to go out and make disciples. And so he sends them forth and he tells them that you're going to make disciples 
by doing this, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, in order to baptize, which is to convey the sacrament of grace in our understanding, in our tradition, in the tradition of many of the institutionalized Christian denominations from Catholicism to Episcopalians to Lutheranism to Baptists, when we are baptizing, not only are we inducting people into the Christian community and allowing them to take their rightful place in the body of Christ, not only are we giving them the opportunity to be cleansed of their sin or to receive provenient grace if they're an infant or a child that has not yet been commissioning their own sins, but we understand that because of Pentecost and the gift of laying of hands at the time of baptism, that those that are baptized are receiving a portion of God's self. They receive a piece of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of which will be with them for the rest of their lives. Long after that water, whether you are immersed, sprinkled, or poured, dries, the Holy Spirit shall remain. And we think of that different ways. Some of us think of the Holy Spirit being in here. Some of us think about it in our hearts. Or for some of us, it's very visceral and guttural. Wherever it is that you think of the Holy Spirit residing, that there is a piece of God, if you have been baptized, that has been with you all along. And you can choose to nurture that Holy Spirit within you and allow it to expand and fill your being and your words and your deeds. Or you can try to squander it and squash it down and sequester it just like the apostles were trying to do when they hid in that upper room time and time again. But Jesus says, go. Go out and make disciples by baptizing. By giving them this gift. We're not meant to keep God all to ourselves. We're meant to share it. And you can't baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit unless you understand that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's implicitly commanding that they learn a little theology and doctrine. This is where it starts to get scary. Because in order for them to be able to teach people, in order for them to be able to do these things, they have to learn themselves. They have to become empowered teachers in order to teach. And so they have to start to wrestle and grapple with this concept of the Trinity, because we understand now that God was so marvelous, so vast, so beyond our understanding that God, the only way God could convey God's self to us was through three different distinct persons of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the hopes and in the prayer that if one of, a, one of the persons of the Trinity didn't really resonate and connect with us, there would still be two more chances. For some, God the Father doesn't seem to make sense. Perhaps it's their, their personal background, their lack of a fruitful, healthy relationship with their own father figure. It just it doesn't resonate. But then something really clicks with this concept of Jesus. Or something is so powerful about the Holy Spirit. This idea that God could breathe life and power through the Spirit. Whatever it is, God has ensured that somehow through the presence in the work of all three persons of the Godhead, that we are given a fuller picture, that we are able to understand and experience more of God than we would if God simply came to us in one. And so God in invites us to wrestle and to ponder and to engage in our own way this in order to be effective disciples. And then comes the scary part for some of us. Some of you who are teachers, you're like, I am at home, thank you. You must teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. Now remember, they were in basically a master's degree program for three years, wandering around. And lest we forget, they weren't that good at it. They were not that good at being disciples. Not then, and some of them still have problems now at the Ascension. 
And so there's a story, and I'll paraphrase it for you. At one point, Jesus is trying to do what good teachers do, trying to empower and equip them and let them go out and try. So he says, here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to pair you up because it's less intimidating to do things in pairs. I'm going to pair you up, and I'm going to send you out, and I just want you to give this ministry thing a try. Just go out. He tells them how to extend their peace, and if it comes back, then they can stay and work. If it doesn't, then they can kick the dust from their feet and keep marching. And he tells them, you know, just go out there and just try it out. Just give it a shot. Give it a good old try. And so they go out. Big fail. Big fail. Not even in pairs can they figure out how to do what they're supposed to be doing. They've been watching him do it. They've been listening to him. And yet when they go out, even in pairs, they're completely lost. And one of them thinks, okay, we, 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 we're trying to heal somebody here. It's not working. Let's take the person back to Jesus, and maybe Jesus can show us what we're doing wrong, and we can get this figured out. So they show back up with the person that needs to be healed, and Jesus is like, Really? And so Jesus is like, all right, fine. So Jesus heals them, and it goes, wah. That's the sound when Jesus heals things. Wah. And so Jesus heals the person, and the apostles are like, well, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus is like, because you have no faith. All this time, everything I've been saying and doing and showing you, and you still don't have any faith. you got to get some faith, because Jesus is like, we on short time. I need you to get some faith. Because this is what I expect of you. I expect you to be able to do this in some way, some shape, some form. I need you to be able to do this. And so he's encouraging them to go out and teach them and show them how things work. But in order to teach, you know, you must be educated. You can't teach somebody if you don't know. And this is where it starts to get really difficult for us because how are you going to know what Jesus taught and what Jesus said to do? Well, you get to read four gospel accounts. Not one, not two, not three, but four. You get to read four. And now there's somebody out here like, why couldn't we just get one? Why do we got to get multiples? Because God has said in the glory of Scripture that it is not enough to know through one way. Hence, the Trinity is three persons. That we need the multiplicity of views and voices and perspectives and experiences and encounters. And they are not the same. I love it when people tell me what their favorite gospel is. I love that. Do you ever do that? Do you tell, have you ever told me what your favorite gospel is? Sometimes people do, they're like, my favorite one is John. I'm like, really? Why is your favorite one John? And they'll go, oh, because it starts so pretty. It's so beautiful. I love how it begins. I'm like, yeah, how does it end? Tell me how it ends. But a lot of times, people are just aware of pieces of those gospels. They haven't really studied all of it. You won't know what Jesus said and did unless you study all of it. And guess what? They don't agree. Sometimes they say one thing, and the other one comes back and goes, that's not what he said. That's not how that went down. Because no Christian ever, anywhere ever has experienced something with another Christian and disagreed on what was said or done. That's why we take minutes in meetings. Because otherwise, none of us agree. And so we're trying to figure out and wrestle with what is it that Jesus wants us to do? Are you ready for how brilliant Jesus is? I mean, Jesus is God, so yes. Are you ready? Jesus says, look, everything, everything that I say and do boils down to two things. Love God as you love yourself and love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Love everybody more than yourself. Love them. Love God. Love your neighbor. And this gets difficult for us because if I'm supposed to go forth and make disciples of everybody, then that means that I really have to consider my neighbor. Now, I happen to love my neighbors. I really do. I love my neighbors. But 
I'm sure all of you have had instances in your life where you didn't really love your neighbor, right? Sometimes you have a neighbor that doesn't like the way you mow your lawn. And they kind of give you that side eye and they make comments about, you know, you're mowing your lawn like really short and you're kind of scorching my edge of my lawn or you turn your mower around in their lawn and they don't like how you edge or whatever. This is not a true story for me, all right? I pay somebody to mow my lawn because I'm not good at mowing lawns. So this is not a true story. That's just letting you know. But there are people who have this kinds of struggle. And so you think to yourself, I don't want to love my neighbor. My neighbor acts like a real jerk to me sometimes. I'm just trying to get my lawn mowed. And he can't even see that. He doesn't even appreciate that, right? Or maybe you work with somebody, right? Maybe there's a woman at work that you work with. This is also not a real story. There's a woman that you work with, and it seems like every time there's a discussion or there's um, a question or a complaint, this person is on the opposite side from you. It's like they just intentionally take the other side, right? People think that's funny. Like, I'm the devil's advocate. No, you're just the devil, right? And instead, you're like, why are you always against me? It doesn't matter what direction I am. You're there against me. This is not a real story because all of them have been at worship at some point today that I work with. And so you realize that you have this contentious relationship. And how are you supposed to teach this person and make this person a disciple if you can't even stand this person? How do I do that? Because it begins with what Jesus said, recognizing who we are. Jesus doesn't just say to them, go make Christians. Christians are people who believe in Jesus Christ. They're a dime a dozen at Christmas time. You can find people that are like, I believe that Jesus was born. Really? Okay, awesome. That's great. And, and I'll see you at Easter when he's resurrected again. Right? We have Christians. They're everywhere. Jesus tells them to go and make disciples. A disciple is a Christian that takes the next step. A disciple is a Christian who says, I don't just believe. I want to be. I want to follow. I want to do. I want to go forth and do and teach and be what Jesus tells us to be. I want to do that. And if you want to do that, then you have to wrestle with who you really are. You have to recognize that in order to teach somebody, you have to know. In order to teach people, you've got to show them exactly what you're asking them to be. You can't say to people, here is what Jesus said to do. I never really read this or understand it or wrestle with it or actually do what 95% of it says to do, but I expect you to read all of it, know all of it, and follow 100%. Nobody wants to hear that from us. Nobody. That's called hypocrisy, and they don't want it. Instead, Jesus breaks it down for us and says, you need to recognize who you are, that I am here because God loves you. And so every morning, we are asked to get up and to recognize who are we and how are we going to love. Those are the two questions that every Christian should ask every morning. And every disciple has to engage them. And then in the evening when you come back and you're getting ready to go to bed and start that prayer list that you're going to fall asleep like maybe a quarter of the way into, before you do that, you ask the questions again. Who was I and how did I love people today? Because when you start asking yourselves those questions, the answers are very clear from Jesus. Who am I? I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, my Lord, my God, my King, my Messiah. I am a beloved child of God. I am a being of sacred worth, endowed with dignity from the Creator. I have been forgiven by God's grace, and I am loved even when I am unlovable. That is who I am. 
And we have to say that to ourselves every day. This is who I am. This is our identity. This is the core of who we are. This is the fabric woven through the threads of our being. This is who we are. And if we recognize that that's who we are, then we have to recognize that there are other people like that. Like my neighbor that is overly picky about my landscaping. Or my coworker who is just a little too contentious for my liking. That those people too, when I see them and I start to think to myself, you know what, if she's in the break room, I am going this way. When we start to see these people and we start to have those negative thoughts and we start to bring all of that past to bear in the present, that's when we recognize and go, like me, they are a beloved child of God. Like me, they are a being of sacred worth endowed with dignity by the Creator. Like me, they too are forgiven by God's grace. And just like me when I am unlovable, God still loves them. God still loves them. And if God can love them, then I'm going to try too. That's the start. And the second part of it is, what does that love look like? How do we love people? Well, we love people by recognizing that everybody has a different need. And not all of us are going to meet everybody's individual needs. But the body of Christ is here to help us love people. To help create missions and ministries that meet people's needs that enable people to fulfill their call into discipleship because all of that looks very different for us as individual disciples of Jesus Christ, and to help people continue to do the work that the disciples began. Because it's not easy work. It's hard work. And most of us spend all of our time thinking there's always going to be another day. We can do this discipleship thing later. We can make disciples later. Nobody wants to get to be 100 and start making disciples for the first time. Nobody. So my sister and I are almost 10 years apart. In fact, she just turned 30 on Wednesday, and I was like, welcome to the club. She's getting older. She's like, I'm so old, I'm 30. I'm like, I'm getting ready to turn 40. You watch your mouth. And so my parents always used to assume that because I was that much older than my sister, that I could like be the authority and they could leave her in my, my power and my purview, and they would leave, and we would tear up the house. Does this sound familiar to any of you? The parents are gone and you like tear up the house. And so we would, we would always be like, oh no, mom and dad are going to be home in 30 minutes. Let's clean the entire house in 30 minutes. And we would rush around and it would be the worst cleaning job ever. And you would always end up like shoving things into the one room and you'd shut the door like right as they walked in and stand in front of the door like, hey, how's it going? They're like, what are you doing? Nothing. I just feel like leaning against this doorpost in an awkward, obstructive way that you can't go in and they'd be like what's in there and you're like nothing this is not the mess that you are looking for because you had waited until the last minute and you think I'm gonna get all of it done in the last minute right 30 minutes we spent six hours wrecking this house we're gonna clean it in 30 minutes right but if we had been smart disciples then we would know that even as you're going along and having fun, that you need to be attentive to the work that needs to be done. And so if you make a mess in this room, we need to clean it up before we move on to this room instead of destroying the whole house like Animal House. If we had been smart about it, if we had been wise and used some of that divine wisdom that we can gain, if we had been engaged and thoughtful, then we wouldn't have ended up in the degenerative state that we ended up in, which always ends up with my parents going into the room and being like, who did this? Her, she did it. She was in charge. You don't listen to my authority. Still doesn't. And it's your fault because you are a train wreck. Well, you're a really crappy babysitter. This is a true story. 
And so the problem was that our relationship was deteriorating simply because we weren't even focusing on what we were supposed to be doing. Because we thought it was all about the fun and the now and always thinking and putting off till tomorrow what we should have been doing today. And as disciples, we do this. We are aware that sometimes we think, that's somebody else's job. That's somebody else's duty. That's not my problem. Those aren't my gifts. I can't do that. No, I can't do that. You can do everything, right? I believe God says that, right? My power is made perfect in your weakness, and you can do all things through him, right? You can do all things. And so we don't get to use that excuse. Jesus is so smart. Jesus is like, you don't get to use that excuse. However, I would like to point out, just as a sidebar, that this blaming thing that my sister and I do is biblical. If you go and read the second chapter of Genesis, it's in there. It doesn't work out really well for Adam and Eve and the serpent, but it is in there. And so Jesus encourages us to try something else. Right? Here it is, past the book of Revelation, and we're still doing Genesis. But we are empowered We are given the gifts and the grace to try these things because Jesus reminds them, this is an overwhelming task, right? I've already tried to narrow it down to two things, love God and love others. And ask yourselves those two questions every day at the beginning and the end, who am I and how have I loved? Who am I and how am I going to love today? Or how did I love today? We're encouraged to ask these questions and empowered to do so. And then Jesus, like God does, gives them just a little bit of encouragement and hope and says to them, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you, right? Not this thing of Jesus is coming, quick, look busy. That's not what we're trying to do. Instead, it's remembering that Jesus is with us every day and every step of the way. That we are empowered and equipped and encouraged, not only by Jesus' words then, but his presence now. That we can do this. It's important that we do this. That this is the work that Jesus expects of us. And Jesus expects us to get up every day and to work towards this, each in our own way. To ensure that we are the disciples that Jesus calls, that Jesus deserves, and that people need. This is vital work in the world. People need to know. Do you ever think about when you hear on the news these people that do these horrific things, these atrocious acts of violence and death and hatred, when you see the desperation, you start to think, how does somebody do that? How do you get to the point where you do that? Our culture doesn't go down that road. Our culture just goes, they're evil, they're of the devil, they're bad, they're irredeemable, we should get rid of them. That's where the culture goes. Jesus won't let us do that because Jesus didn't look at his failing disciples and go, you're out. You failed, you're out. Every single day, God says, we're going to try again. We're going to get this right somehow, some way, but we're going to try again. I still love you. You're starting to wear on my patience, but I still love you. And we are going to try this again. We are going to try again. Because I don't know how many times my sister and I pulled that, like, let's destroy the house and try to rebuild it in a day. But if we had been smart, if we had been willing to learn from our mistakes and our punishment, which usually resulted in being grounded in the house that you had just destroyed, like maybe they should send us out. Smart Jesus. If you had focused on that, then we would have worked together to overcome that, right? 
because we each had different graces. We each had the ability to do things, and together we would have been more effective than if we had spent the whole time bickering and arguing with each other. And we probably would have a vastly different relationship than we have right now, which is probably not the relationship that either of us really want, because she still doesn't respect my authority. It's very rude. (laughs) And so we are trying very hard to repair years of damage and complete dereliction of duty. But as disciples, we recognize that every day, every month, every year that we don't do our work, people suffer. People suffer when they think that they are unloved. People suffer when they think that they are irredeemable and unforgivable. People suffer when they think that there are a group of people in the world that are loved, but I am not that I can't be part of that, that God isn't willing to come and be a part of my life and bless me. And people hear Christians all the time, I am blessed. I feel great. It's amazing the relationship that I have with my God. People hear that all the time. And they're wondering, why can't I have that? Because Christians, over the course of time, have gotten very paranoid about that word evangelism. It's been co-opted by our culture, and so there are plenty of people that think evangelism is the dirty E-word. And they picture people knocking on doors and incessantly ringing doorbells and hitting people with Bibles. Don't hit people with your Bible. It's rude. It's a heavy book. You're supposed to be reading this book, not hitting people with it. Instead, we're supposed to be doing things to show them because the other truth is that while there are four gospel accounts, every Christian disciple is writing a gospel. You are writing a gospel with your life, with your words, with your deeds, with your actions, with the way that you make decisions. You are preaching, whether you like it or not, up to the world about how you spend your free time. Whether or not you have a day that you set aside to be in the presence of God, to choose to come to worship, which you clearly have. Whether you choose to engage your hard-earned resources and material wealth into the kingdom. You are making decisions and people are watching and they are paying attention and they are determining whether or not you are a hypocrite or you are a disciple based upon what they see and hear. And so we are preaching a message. Not everybody here will be a preacher like I am. If you would like to, indicate that on your connection card, and we will work on that. But the truth is that the hardest preaching comes from living it, living it day in and day out, and struggling with it because it's not easy. Jesus never said this was going to be easy, ever. He never told them, come with me. This is going to be the easiest, smoothest ride you ever had, gentlemen. You think fishing? No, let me show you how easy it is to follow me. He knew it was going to be hard, but he knew that it would be easier if they were together. And so he has knitted us together and invited us into this ministry together because it's going to take all of us to do this. And that is the legacy of the Great Commission that we recognize that we are not at this alone, that not only is Jesus with us, but we are with each other. We recognize that we have been equipped and empowered. That same piece of the Holy Spirit that we received at our baptism, that is empowering us and fueling us to be able to do this work. And if we are committed to that, then God promises us that God will make our endeavors fruitful. Now, fruitfulness doesn't always look the way we envision it, 
But it's incredible what God can do if we are willing to go and till the soil, if we are willing to scatter the seed, if we are willing to water the, the soil. If we are willing to be engaged, then God says, I will bear fruit in you and through you. Because that is the promise of discipleship. And that is what the world needs. And that is who we are. You can choose to be a Christian. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with being a Christian. I hope all of us are Christians. But the world doesn't just need people who claim Jesus as their Savior. The world needs people who bring the Savior to them and show them that Jesus is theirs too. That is who we are called to be. And that is why the Great Commission is still at the core of every disciple's spirituality. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.